Well, good morning. I'm glad I'm here this morning standing up here in one piece. So praise the Lord. Uh, Terry Fields, somehow PT put me on Terry Fields and Keith Parks crew. I knew that was a mistake from the beginning. But, but uh, Terry told me yesterday that his dad said to him, he said, I'm worried about that preacher. I don't know how he's going to preach in the morning. So, uh, so hopefully we'll make it through this together uh, today. We're going to continue a series that I started a few weeks ago called, What is it going to take for us to be the church and the people that God wants us to be? And so far we've talked about the need to align with God's vision by recognizing that we are one body with one head, Jesus Christ, with many parts, with a common goal of making disciples in need of one direction. And last week we talked about the need to live a life defined by obedience as we looked at the battle of Jericho in Joshua chapter 6. And today, I want to share with you that if we are going to be the people in the church God wants us to be, we have to truly follow Jesus. And that word truly, it means to the fullest degree, to the fullest extent. It means genuinely. It means properly. And in order for Jesus to make a difference in our lives... We have to come to grips of what it means to follow Jesus to the fullest degree. There are many people who've made the decision to receive Christ, but they're no longer in church. They're no longer serving Him. They're no longer following Him. Why? Because they failed to understand the commitment they were making to Christ. They failed to understand that their salvation should lead to sanctification. What do I mean by that? Meaning that once we give our lives to Christ, our number one desire, our number one priority should be to become more like Christ. There was a business owner who was selling his building. It was run down. It had been vandalized. It was full of trash and garbage. There had been a lot of structural damage to it. And he found this prospective buyer, and he told the prospective buyer, he said, I will clean this site up for you. I will clean this building up for you before you purchase it. The prospective buyer told the businessman, he said, I don't need you to clean anything up. He said, I'm going to do something completely different. He said, I don't want the building. I just want the site. You see, when he come to Jesus, he doesn't want the building. When we come to Jesus, he wants the site because we must understand that salvation is not about renovation. Salvation is about transformation. And he desires to make us and mold us into the people that he wants us to be. Jesus desires to change us completely when we give our lives to him. I think of the verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where uh, Paul wrote, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When we come to Christ, he wants to change us inside and out. He wants us to come to the point where we say as the old hymn says, Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded and still. And the only way that God can really mold us and make us into who he wants to be is when we truly follow him. So this morning, I want you to examine your own life. And I want you to determine whether or not you are truly following Jesus. Because if we are not the followers, the people that Jesus wants to be, there is no way we can become the church that he needs us to be. 
And so over the next couple of weeks, I want us to look at two contrasting passages to discover what it means to follow Jesus without excuse and whatever the cost. And as I began preparing this message, I thought I can do this in one setting. Well, if you want to be here till 3 o'clock, I can do it. But I prefer not to be, especially after yesterday. So, so I'm, going to do half, I'm going to do one passage today, and I'm going to do one passage next week. Because there's so much in these passages that I just don't want to gloss over. Because I want us to get a true glimpse, a true picture of what it means to follow Jesus. So this morning, I am going to focus on what it means to follow Jesus without excuse. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. So if you have your your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. It says, and starting in verse 57 of Luke chapter 9, As they were traveling on the road, meaning Jesus and his disciples, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have dens, birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to one another, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. Jesus told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say goodbye to those at my house. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit. For the kingdom of God. I want us to see from this passage three things that we must do if we're going to follow Jesus without excuse. So the first thing is, if we are going to truly follow Jesus without excuse, we must realize there are challenges to overcome. Jesus speaks to three individuals in this passage who have the desire to follow him. The first individual, he says that he is committed to following Jesus wherever he goes. Now in Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 and 19, we see this same encounter that Jesus had with this individual. Matthew gives a little different picture. He said that this guy is a scribe, and that this guy comes up to Jesus, the scribe, and calls Jesus a teacher. So when you put Matthew and Luke together, what this man is offering is to be Jesus' disciple. A disciple is a follower or a student of a teacher, a leader, or a philosopher. And students of Judaism, they often live with their teachers to learn the Torah, which we know is the first five books of the Bible. And even though this man said he wanted to follow Jesus, he really didn't understand what it meant to follow Jesus because he failed to understand the significance of the word follow. The Greek word for follow is a kolotheo. It occurs 90 times in the New Testament. And it occurs 79 times in the Gospels, which we know are focused on Christ. So with this idea of a kolotheo, this idea of following is deeply connected to Jesus and the idea of discipleship. And it's used in the Gospels to frequently describe attachment to Jesus, surrendering to the call of Jesus, and accepting the leadership of Jesus in our lives. So being a disciple of Jesus, it's more than being a student. It's more than than being in his presence and learning in his word. It's more than going to Bible study. It's more than listening to the teaching of God's word. To be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus means we must attach ourselves to him. We must surrender to him. And we must accept his leadership in our lives. And I'm sure that this is something I'm not sure this is something that this man wanted to do. Because look what he said in verse 58. 
He said, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. But verse 58, Jesus said, foxes have dens, birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In this passage, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. Jesus is identifying himself as being 100% human. When you see Son of Man in Scripture, that implies his humanity. When you see Son of God in Scripture, that implies the deity of Christ. And when you put the two together, Jesus is saying he's 100% God, 100% man. In theology, that is called the hypostatic union. Two natures, one person. But to this man, Jesus is describing what disciples can expect when they follow him. And Jesus makes it clear to this man that, that his situation is worse than that of the animals because Jesus said the animals have homes But he said the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus was pointing out that he is homeless. Jesus was pointing out that he's a stranger in this world. And remember earlier I said that disciples often live with their teachers. Jesus is making it clear to this man that if he follows him, he will be homeless. He will have no place to lay his head. And he will be a stranger in the world as well. Now it's not comfortable being a stranger. When we first moved to California, back in 2001, we were strangers because we moved to an area that was completely different than what we were used to. We had culture shock. I grew up in the Deep South. I grew up in Mobile, Alabama. There's a huge difference between Mobile, Alabama and San Jose, California. Not even close. The population of the Bay Area, which is a 50-mile radius, when we were there, it was 4 to 5 million people. Now it's over 7 million people, 75% Asian, 15% Hispanic. 90% was Hispanic and Asians in the Bay Area. We felt out of place growing up from Mobile, Alabama and going all the way to San Jose, California. Traffic, horrendous. Traffic, Awful. You think it's bad in Richmond or Lexington. You go to the Bay Area and it takes you an hour to go five miles on the interstate. It was culture shock for us. Things were completely different. There were 76 different languages spoken within a five-mile radius of our church. I had two years of Spanish in high school. It did me no good. I wish I would have paid more attention than I did. I was clueless. When Aaron started school in California. He was the only blonde-haired kid in his class. A very diverse culture, something we were not used to. We felt like strangers. And then when Aaron, when we moved to Kentucky in 2008, Aaron was among people just like him. There was no diversity here in Kentucky that there was in California. And it was probably reverse culture shock for him a little bit because that's what he Grew up with for six or seven years in California. But for us, moving from from Alabama and then to Texas and to California, it was like we were strangers. And we were strangers until we got used to the culture and we loved the people and we got used to the church and we loved the church and we stayed there seven or eight years and, and God was gracious to us. But when we first got there, it was like we were in a completely different place. We felt like strangers. And so that's exactly what Jesus is telling this man. And as disciples and followers of Jesus, we must realize that following Jesus means we're going to live as strangers in this world. 
In Philippians 3.20, Paul says, Our citizenship is not of this world, but it is of heaven. And because we are a citizen of heaven, our values and our beliefs and our morals are not going to line up with the world's values, but with God's character and his word. And when we uphold biblical beliefs, when we uphold biblical values, we are going to be in conflict with the world. And for many of us, this is a challenge because when we stand up to the world and stand up for God, we're going to be made fun of. We're going to be ridiculed. We're going to be persecuted. We may even be isolated. It may cost us friendships. It may cost us our job. It may even cost us our life, and it may even strain family relationships. And what we must understand is when we choose to follow Jesus, we are going to be rejected by the world because we are strangers in this world. In Luke chapter 10, verse 16, look what Jesus said about this. He says, Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. And then if you go to John chapter 15, and you look at verses 18 and 19, Jesus, as he was meeting in the upper room with his disciples before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and was arrested to be crucified, he told this to his disciples, If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Jesus made it very clear that the world rejected him. And because the world rejected him, the world is going to reject us. So being a disciple of Christ, being a follower of Jesus, it's not about being comfortable. It's about being stretched and overcoming the challenges that we face. It takes resolve. It takes perseverance. And it takes endurance when you follow Jesus. Compare it to running a marathon. Not that I've ever run one or plan to run one. But I'm sure there are challenges that runners face. There's the conditions they must run in. Maybe the heat, the humidity. There's dehydration. They must push through the pain. And to finish, they have to overcome these challenges. And when we follow Jesus to the fullest extent, we're going to face challenges. But if we want to run the race well, we have to overcome them. And we do so by our faith in Jesus Christ. 1 John 5, 4 and 5. John said, it is our faith that overcomes the world. And if you tell Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go, you must be ready to overcome the rejection that Jesus faced. And you must be willing to overcome the challenges that Jesus faced. The second point I want to make is... There are also choices to be made. There's not only challenges to be overcome when we say we're going to follow Jesus. There are choices to be made. He asked the second man in verse 59 to follow him. But this man also comes up with an excuse as to why he can't follow Jesus. He said in verse, uh, let me turn back to Luke chapter 9, verse 57 and 62. Listen to what this man says. He said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. This man said, Jesus, before I follow you, I need to go and bury my father. Now there are three possibilities that that scholars have come up with as to what this man was referring to. One possibility is his father had just died and he wanted to, to wait to follow Jesus until he went and buried his father. 
Another one, another thought is that he wanted to wait and his father was still living. He wanted to wait until his father had passed away before he followed Jesus. And the third thought is maybe that, uh, that he wanted to go and rebury his father's bones because in that culture, a year after someone passed away, to honor them, you went and reburied their bones. But regardless of the situation that was going on here, regardless of what this man meant, what he was doing, he was asking for a considerable delay. He wants to take time to bury his father before he follows Jesus. Now that seems reasonable. Because one of the most important responsibilities a family member could perform was the burial of a loved one. That was a major concern in the ancient culture. And that was a Jewish ethical priority. In fact, one of the Ten Commandments is to honor your father and mother. And to neglect the duty of not honoring your father in this way was unthinkable. It could have made one an outcast from their own family. It could have been that they were dishonored in their village for the rest of their lives. But in refusing this man's excuse, Jesus put forth a shocking demand that is greater than this important family responsibility. Jesus is making it clear that honoring him is much more important than honoring anything or anyone else. Jesus is making it clear to this man that following him is the top priority and nothing should get in the way. And this man had a choice before him to go and bury his father or to follow Jesus. And in verse 660, look at the reply that Jesus gives this man. He told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. This is a rhetorical reply that that Jesus offers this man. And he shows the extent of the choice that truly following him was going to require. And instead of allowing this man to postpone following him until he has performed his honorable and sacred family duty, Jesus tells this man, he says, let the dead bury the dead. On the surface, this seems strange. How can dead people bury a dead person? The Greek word for dead is is nekrus. It's nekrus. And the first time this word is used in verse 60 is probably referring to those who are not committed to God. Referring to those who are spiritually dead. So in essence, what Jesus is saying, he's telling this man who wants to bury his father before he follows him, he's telling him that the spiritually dead can bury the physically dead. That those who are separated from God and have no desire to follow Him can take care of this matter. You see, Jesus is driving the point home that's more important for this man to follow Him than to bury his father. Jesus is telling him not to be preoccupied with less important matters. And this man gave Jesus what seemed to be a great excuse for postponing his uh, commitment to following Him and being His disciple. But Jesus rejected this man's excuse just like he rejected the first man's excuse. Why did Jesus reject this man's excuse? Because nothing is to keep us from giving our life to Christ. Nothing is to keep us from pursuing Jesus. Nothing is to keep us from following him. And these words of Jesus demonstrate the kind of demand that Jesus makes for those who want to follow him. And for us, 
If anything in our life conflicts with the call God places on our life, God's call should always win. A great call of God demands our total response to God. A great call from God demands a total response to God. And our desires, our plans, our duties should never interfere with what God wants to do in our lives. God's priority is not our priorities. God's priority is not our work. God's priority is not our family. God's priority is not our school. God's priority is not anything else. And if these things become our priority, we neglect His priority. Because His priority for us is to choose to be His disciples, to choose to truly follow Him and make disciples by following Him to the fullest extent. And as He told this man, spreading the news of the kingdom of God. God's greatest priority for us is to follow Him and to testify to others about what God has done in our life and what He can do in their life. You see, in our life, we have a choice to make. You can choose Jesus, or you can choose something or someone else. And in your life, in my life, I will pray as Joshua said in Joshua 24, 15. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua said he wasn't going to let anything stand in his way of following Jesus. And I pray that you will not let anything stand in your way of following Jesus either. So if we're going to truly follow Jesus, there are challenges to be faced. There's a choice to be made. And finally, there's a commitment to be fulfilled. Look at verse 61 and 62. Another said also, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The third man says he'll follow Jesus, just like the others did. But he also offers what seems to be a reasonable excuse as well. He said, Jesus, before I follow you, let me go tell my family goodbye. And again, Jesus did not buy his excuse. And in fact, in verse 62, he gives this man a stern warning. And he uses a metaphor to drive his point home. Look at what Jesus said in verse 62. He said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus may have been concerned that if this man went to tell his family goodbye, that he may have had second thoughts. And he may have want to postponed his commitment to Christ. Maybe even have changed his mind about following Christ. Or maybe his family would talk him out of the commitment that he made. Or maybe his family would even threaten to disown him and have nothing to do with him if he stuck with the commitment that he made to follow Jesus. Now parents, I'm just going to speak to you for a second. Because I still love students. And I've known and I've heard of students who have felt God calling them to do certain things whether it was missions, whether it was ministry, or maybe to particular to go a certain way in their lives. And yet their parents did not approve, so the students did not follow the plan or the purpose 
or the call that God placed on their life. Parents, never talk your child out of following God's plan for their lives. Never, under any circumstances, keep your child from following the plan that God has for your child's life. That's one of the worst things you can do for your child. Because if you do that, you are leading your child to be disobedient to God. If you talk them out of following God's plan for their lives. The best thing you can do for your child is to encourage them to be obedient to God. To follow God by following His plan and His call for His or her life. And what we need to remember is we are not here to seek man's approval. We are here to seek God's approval and only His approval. And it's better for us to disappoint man than it is for us to disappoint God. I want to encourage you to remember that. Our job is not to disappoint God. Our job is to please God and not let anything stand in the way of us pleasing Him. So why, in verse 62, why did Jesus say or compare following Him to someone who puts his hand on the plow? Because when you plow, your eyes are supposed to be looking ahead. You're supposed to keep one hand on the plow and one hand on the oxen. Why? So you can plow straight. In Palestine, especially, where the soil was rocky, one hand was to guide the plow, the other hand the animals, and the eyes were to look forward. Why? So the farmer would know exactly where he was going. If you've ever been mowing and looked away for a second, been distracted, and then you look back up, you may be off the path that you were mowing. Or if you're driving and you're looking out the window... Or maybe you're doing something else and all of a sudden you're going on the shoulder of the road. Or maybe you veered into the other lane a little bit. And if you're like people in my family, they say the road's over here, not over there. Anybody ever heard that? Or keep your eyes on the road. You don't need to be looking over there. That's the point Jesus is making. Because when you're driving, we need to be devoted to the task that is hand and not be looking around. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying in this metaphor. It is a picture of total dedication to a task. Jesus is making it clear that this man could not follow two things at once. And I think of Matthew 6, 24, when Jesus said, You can't serve two masters because you'll love the one and hate the other. To follow Jesus is to not look back to the the way life was before we came to follow Him. Because you may decide to follow Jesus only to desire the old way of life. And Jesus said, that is not acceptable to me. In fact, it's spiritually unhealthy. And if you turn to 1 Peter 1.14, this is what Peter said about desiring the old way of life. Turn to 1 Peter 1.14 real quick. Look what Peter wrote. He says, as obedient children... Meaning, if we're truly going to follow Jesus, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you are to be holy in all your conduct. Peter said, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. What is he talking about? Don't desire the way your life was before you came 
to Christ. Because to follow Jesus, it requires undivided loyalty. Following Jesus is not an emotional decision in a weak moment. Following Jesus is a commitment to a new way of life. It's pleasing Christ with your life. It's living for Christ. And it's reaching others for Him. And Jesus gives us the result of what happens when we look back. He said someone who looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus said, if you have one hand on the plow, but you're looking away, that you are not fit, that you are not suitable, you are not usable for the kingdom of God. You see, God can't use us if we're not willing to grow and be used of Him. God can't use us if our heart and our mind are focused on our circumstances instead of Him. God can't use us if He does not have our undivided Attention! God can't use us if we do not give Him total control of our lives. And God can't use us if our commitment is not to Him and Him alone. There was a great military leader by the name of Alexander the Great. He was the king of ancient Macedonia. And he had conquered most of the known world during his time. And he was known for his military strength. He was known for his cleverness. He was known for his diplomacy. And one day Alexander and a small company of his soldiers, they approached the strongly defended walled city. And Alexander was standing at the base of the wall and he called for the king to come out. And the king came out and he approached the battlements at the top of the wall. And he agreed to hear Alexander's commands. And Alexander said to the king, surrender to me now. The king laughed and he looked at Alexander and said, Why should I surrender to you? We have you far outnumbered and you are no threat to us. Well, Alexander was ready for the challenge that he faced. He said to the king, he said, Allow me to demonstrate why you should surrender to me. So he ordered his men to line up single file and he ordered them to start marching. And he marched them straight toward a cliff that dropped off to rocks that were hundreds and hundreds of feet below. And the king and his soldiers, they watched in shock and disbelief as one by one, Alexander's soldiers marched without hesitation off the cliff to their death below. After ten soldiers had died, Alexander, he ordered the rest of his men to come stand beside him and to stop marching off the cliff. Aren't you glad you wasn't the eleventh man in that line? But the king and his soldiers, they surrendered to Alexander on the spot. Why did they surrender? Because they saw the dedication that that Alexander's men had to him. That was an example of awesome obedience. That's an example of awesome commitment. And I want to ask you, are you as dedicated, are you as committed to God as Alexander's army was to him. Would you be willing to walk off a cliff if God told you to? Not that he will. But how far would you be willing to go in your commitment to Christ? Because you know, sometimes following Christ, it does cost us our lives. Sometimes our commitment to Christ does cost us things that are precious to us. But God says, your commitment to me is more important than any commitment that you have. 
And Scripture makes it very clear that there is more to discipleship. There is more to following Jesus than getting saved and believing in Him. Deuteronomy 12, 28. God says, be careful to obey so that it may always go well with you and your children after you because you will be doing what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord your God. You see, accepting Christ is just the beginning to following Jesus. Because the moment you choose to follow Jesus, the issue now is how committed are you going to be to Him? And regardless of how reasonable an excuse is to you for not being committed to God, it is unreasonable to God. Because no excuse is acceptable to God for you not following Him. One commentator I read said this. He said, following Jesus is not a task which is added to others like working a second job. It is everything. It is a solemn commitment which forces disciples to reorder all their duties. Did you catch that? Following Jesus is a solemn commitment, a serious commitment, which forces disciples to reorder all their duties, to reorder all their priorities. And for Jesus, following Him is not to be taken lightly. Following Jesus is serious business. It's an all-consuming priority. And family and home and work and school and sports and everything else in our lives, they are to be secondary in our relationship with Him. And if Jesus is not your primary commitment in your life, then you need to do as the commentator said, and maybe you need to reorder some priorities in your own life. And in this passage that we just read in Luke, each of these individuals, their problem was they only wanted to be partially committed to God. You see, they wanted to follow God on their terms. But when it comes to following Jesus, He does not demand partial commitment. He demands total commitment. He requires us to be all in and to follow Him on His terms. And He is not interested in our excuses. He's interested in our obedience. There was a child who brought a poor report card home to his parents. His mom asked him, he said, Son, what do you have to say about this? Well, the boy thought for a moment and replied. He said, Well, one thing's for sure, Mom. You know I ain't cheating. <laughs> this boy made no excuses for his poor grades. And when it comes to following Jesus... We shouldn't make excuses either. Nothing should keep us from fulfilling the commitment we've made to God and the call that God has placed on our lives. Following Jesus is a hard walk, but it's a walk that's worth it, and it's a walk that you will never regret. And in Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, If anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That phrase, deny yourself, that means to follow him without excuse. And if we're going to be the church and the people God wants us to be, this is exactly what must happen in each of our lives. We must follow Jesus without excuse and on his terms. So this morning, as you look at your life, I ask you, are you willing to follow Jesus to the fullest extent? Are you willing to follow Jesus without excuse? 
Are you willing to attach yourself to Him? Are you willing to surrender every area of your life to Him? And are you willing to accept His leadership in your life? And I pray that your answer will be the same as the songwriter when he wrote, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The world behind me. The cross before me. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you to give your life to Him today. I want you to determine in your life today that today you want to begin following Him by making Him your Lord and your Savior. And don't let anything or anyone keep you from making that decision to receive Christ into your life. And if you receive Jesus in your life, are you truly following Him? Are you following Him to the fullest degree? Or are you making excuses to why you can't follow Him? Or maybe you're here this morning and you need to follow Jesus in believer's baptism. Maybe you've been saved, but you've never been baptized. Or maybe God's leading you to become part of this church, this body of believers. Or, or maybe God's laid something on your heart to just come to this altar and pray about. Whatever you need to do this morning after we pray, I want you to come. And if you need to talk to me, I'll be down here in the front. But church, I want us to understand if we want to truly follow Jesus and be the disciples He wants us to be, we got to follow Him without excuse. Let's pray. Father, we just come before You this morning and we just thank You for Your Word. And, and God, we just thank You, Lord, for how clear that You make it to us of what it requires for us to follow You. And Father, I look at my own life. And I think of often how many excuses have I used for not following you. Father, how often have I done like these men and thought that my priorities were more important than yours? How I thought that my plans and my desires were more important than yours. God, I pray that a heart's desire of every person in this room would be to follow you without excuse. And Father, if there's someone here this morning who's never given their life to you, I pray they would come and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. They would begin that walk with you today and begin following you today and become a citizen of heaven and part of your family. And Father, for those of us who've made that decision, may we allow your spirit to examine our hearts. And Father, if there's any part of us that's not doing what you've asked us to do, Father, May we quit making excuses and may we do it. And Father, I pray that our desire would be to become the people, the church you want us to be. And Father, the only way that we can do that is to follow you to the greatest extent, to the greatest degree, and do it without excuse. Lord, move in the sanctuary today. Move in the hearts of people. And Father, we just... Ask all these things in your most precious and holy and awesome name. Amen. If you need to come to the altar for any reason, we invite you to come this morning.